0: Vance Vanson for Jill Bennett for the next couple of weeks. Glad to have you along here. Good news story. Because, you know, it's been a long and slow process. If you've been waiting in the city of Vancouver to hit a patio at one of your favorite local restaurants that doesn't have one. Because you know what's happening in Delta? They're fast tracking this. The city of Delta has launched an expanded patio program. No permit fees, quick approvals from City Hall. We want to hear more about this. So we uh, connect now with City Councilor Dylan Kruger. Hello, Dylan.
1: Hey, Jody. Thanks for having me.
0: Glad to be with you. I am a very proud graduate of South Delta Senior Secondary. I am celebrating Delta with this because saving local restaurants is at the forefront of what we're seeing here in COVID-19. The the stats are unbelievable. Like 75% of small restaurants in our country will not survive this pandemic. So can you walk us through a little bit of of how the conversation within uh, the City Hall and Delta went with regard to patios?
1: Yeah, for sure. No, it's been really devastating to see the impact that COVID-19 has had on all of our small businesses. And we we were thinking locally in Delta, well, what can we do to to, to help uh, uh, these businesses to survive, in this case, uh, restaurants and and coffee shops? I brought this motion forward, I think it was April 27th, with apologies to my friend, uh, Councillor Kirby Young in Vancouver. I think we beat her by about a day. And Uh um, just saying, you know, what can we do to get out of the way and just let restaurant owners innovate So uh, after that meeting, which I was very happy, Mayor Harvey and our entire council supported this unanimously, we waived all fees for patio and liquor license amendments for the city. We wrote wrote a letter to Premier Horgan uh, asking that the BC Liquor and Cannabis Regulation Branch amend the process for outdoor patios to be expedited, which the province later agreed to. The City of North Van, I think, also wrote a letter. Uh, And then we proactively reached out to every single restaurant and coffee shop within Delta, basically asking, how can we work with you to make this happen? How can we get to yes on this? And some of the results, honestly, of just getting out of the way and letting these restaurant owners innovate have been absolutely incredible. So they can use our city sidewalk space, uh, in some cases, uh, parking spaces on the street or even uh, partial street closures. We've been incredibly flexible. And the results, people have just loved it. It's amazing how even in this time of being physically distanced, we are still able to get together outside, uh, even with some nice live music and enjoy the ambiance on the streets, and I, I think it's actually been a, a positive change. I'd like to see stick around.
0: Yeah, you know what, we are all feeling a bit starved for that social interaction at a safe distance, following along with our provincial health officer officer's guidelines, and so difficult to do for so many establishments because that footprint is so costly and the margin of of profit for a restaurateur is like tiny to begin with if you can be at full capacity and now you're looking at 50% capacity and the distancing rules. My favorite thing that you said is how do we get to yes on this? And it really is... You know, we applaud you for doing this. Are there downsides? Was there pushback from anywhere, anywhere, and anyone on this?
1: You know, it's pretty rare for me to say this, but I'd say, by and large, there's been massive public support and buy-in for this. I think people understand the extenuating circumstances that we're in. Traditionally, I think some of the pushback would be around: well, are we taking up parking spaces from people that would otherwise be in our commercial areas? Is there a hazard in giving up, you know, city public space for, for private restaurants? But in this case, I mean, traffic has been so low in our, you know, you're mm-hmm. from Delta in our traditional areas like Ladner Village and our Town Center and up on Scott Road. We just haven't seen the cars like we've seen in the past, and more people are walking and biking and wanting to be outside. Uh, so, no, by and large, I think there's been great public support. This is so rare to say it. I don't even think we, we got one letter of opposition to this. It's It's been really supportive.
0: Wow, let's hope that spreads through other m- municipalities. We're with Dylan Kruger, who's the city of Delta councillor, talking about this sort of fast track program for uh, the p- the patios, expanded patio program. Now, no permit fees and quick approvals from city hall. How do you how do you have? or do you have bylaw officers checking on uh, these outlets to make sure that everything is uh, to sort of specific specs, or are you just sort of going on the assumption that things are, are, are going well and, and, and then sort of hearing back where there might be issues and checking those out? How does that work?
1: Well, honestly, it's, it's a huge kudos to the, the staff of Delta for running with this because a lot of this has been, um, uh, in-person meetings going outside even even myself and and mayor harvey went out a couple weekends ago to some of the local restaurants and we just walked around the site and said okay what well, makes sense here what mm. can we do to to a, to In, you can't really create i think with a situation like this you can't put in parameters and say well it has to be 1.5 meters from this or, or this size or that like you really just have to adapt it to the space and in i, I think i think the majority of cases that's what we've done uh council uh, myself and mayor harvey have gone out uh, or our, our staff and bylaws folks have gone out and, and just found a way to make it work.
0: What a good news story, Dylan. Congratulations on, on just making the statement, let's just look at what works here. It's just so commonsensical, which has no place well, in municipal municipal politics for so many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not, not a lot of common sense usually, but I, I hope that the one silver lining, and there's not a good, lot of good news stories out there, these days, as, as, as you know. But I hope the one silver lining that we can take from this moving forward is we. So this experiment has actually resulted in, in some cases, taking what were very ugly suburban parking lots and turning them into vibrant street space and right. places where people want to be. And I've seen parts of our city animated in ways that I have never seen before and could have only dreamed of happening, all while we're, we're socially distant and, and physically apart. So I hope that this is an attitude that we can keep and adapt and move forward with and and some other ideas uh, and try to, as I said before, get, get, get to yes on creating more vibrant spaces in our city.
0: What a great attitude. And thank you for allowing me to make light there. Of course, I know that there are serious, serious uh, issues that need to be uh, taken care of at all municipal levels and, and people work very, very hard. So if anybody took offense to that, please don't. It was just some levity here because this is a good news story. This is, can we branch this out? Can we make this sort of the getting to yes value and ideal that can be spread around to municipalities all over because we really are all in this together and I love how as you mentioned Premier John Horgan was able to say you know what yeah we can expand patios we just need to make sure that there's you know some sort of barrier that velvet rope that little bit of chain link or what have you just that defines the space so you know we want to be realistic about Loosening things up, and and it seems like that's an affordable option for people, with just this small window to make hay while the sun shines, actually, literally, without outdoor spaces and patios, seasonally.
1: Uh, absolutely right, uh, Jody. And um, again, I, I think one, what really has blown me away is the ingenuity of the restaurant owners and the, the different. Uh, styles and um, ways that they've set up their patios. like They've all been so unique, and the best thing that we could do was just to to get out of the way and, and, and let them make it happen. And that's what we need to do more of now, and I- I'd love to see this be expanded to other retailers, other brick-and-mortar stores. Like I- If our city space, if our sidewalk space or some parking lot space can be of use to, to you and your business, let's, let's find a way to make it happen.
0: Let's expand it. Let's get it to yes. Thank you so much for taking some time with us today, Dylan. Much appreciated.
1: Hey, thanks for having me and look forward to seeing you on a Delta patio sometime soon. You know that's going
0: to happen. I'm going to come out and hang with my parents who live out in Tawas, and i got to check out the town center. I haven't seen the new uh, the new setup out there, so I will check it out. We really appreciate Dylan Kruger, who is a City of Delta counselor, talking about getting to yes and common sense and making it happen. Are we getting out and using these outdoor spaces? Are you concerned about going indoors in a restaurant and would definitely take part if you could socially distance outdoors and order your food or perhaps just go for a glass of wine or, or a beer somewhere? Outside of your little teeny tiny apartment, that is all that anybody can really afford in the lower mainland. I'm Jody Vance in Fort Jill today. And you know, if you follow me at Jody Vance on Twitter, you might have noticed the action on my feed over the weekend on this next topic. It's about the future of Stanley Park. Joining me now on the line is Vancouver Park Board Commissioner and good friend Tricia Barker. Hi, Tricia. Hi, Jody. I thought I wouldn't overly explain this one, and then introduce you, rather than just have you sort of give us the the Cole's notes version of what's changed in Stanley Park between pre COVID nineteen and now, and what we might expect at this evening's rather important park board meeting.
2: Well, what happened was um, obviously when. COVID-19 hit, uh, we made some pretty uh, fast um, uh, decisions about what to do to make everyone safe. And one of those decisions was to close down Stanley Park, to close down the roads, so we could take the bikes off the seawall and let everyone just walk with the um, good physical distancing on the seawall. So we could still get people out to the park, but we could, you know, make uh, people feel safer while they were out there. And that worked really, really well. And so as we, you know, move forward to this week, um, we've opened up all the other parks. Well, the closed, the parks were never closed, but we opened up the the um, roadways. The parking lots. And, yeah. yeah, the parking lots and, and started to put the logs back on the beaches. And everyone was wondering when we were going to get Stanley Park open. And so there were a couple issues there and staff was working on it and Um, We were told it was going to be um, most likely last week. And then, shockingly enough, a motion came forward uh, at the last Park Board meeting about um, exploring options to reduce motor vehicle traffic in Stanley Park. And uh, great shock to Commissioner Cooper and I because, you know, we're talking about let's get Stanley Park opened again. And this motion came forward and it was like, okay, okay. And um, first of all, we thought that of course it would be um, moved to committee so everyone could talk about this, and and everyone who loves this park so much could have the opportunity to speak to it, and uh, that wasn't um, uh, part of this. N- process. No one liked that. No <laughs> one liked that idea a lot that had brought the motion forward, and um, so right now it will be decided on tonight. Um, The public doesn't get to speak to it. It doesn't go to committee. It's just at the regular board meeting. And um, so uh, luckily, a lot of the public is speaking online. And there's this big petition that was started by David Fine. And people are able to, we're hearing stories about why people want to have their car and why they want to Um, go to Stanley Park, and the stories about, you know, I take my mother there, I take my friends there, and so many people um, with accessibility, mobility issues are just fearful that they're not going to get back in. And we just even received a letter from the City of Vancouver, Persons with Disability Advisory Committee, that has got great concerns. And mostly, I'd like to say, you know, we Agree with have a report. Find out what we can do to improve Stanley Park. But the scary thing is, is that we're doing this during a pandemic, when most people are going to be um, hidden distracted. away.
0: Distracted, yeah.
2: And so we had said that we we had said that we weren't going to ignore seniors. Had, that was what we were going to learn with all of this. And right now, what we're doing is we're ignoring seniors. And, um, you know, and that's not even taking the people with the uh, mobility challenges into, you know, our thoughts. And so, you know, we're saying let's at least refer this decision to after people can come and speak to it before it goes to staff and when people can even have access to the park board meeting. Right now you can't even go into the building and that takes away a lot of people's um, ability to speak
0: no question Tricia. there's so much about this that uh, it, it just feels it feels rushed and pressured and that's what i was getting on on my twitter feed certainly cuz m- i questioned how could we possibly know when when the the mindset was let's do a study on on trying to to make a permanent change to stanley park for post covid-19 so a post pandemic permanent change and i thought how do you know what post pandemic looks like none of us know what that looks like how can we do a study on that while in a pandemic, to make a decision about what it looks like post pandemic, and then implement it, it all just felt like I was like, whoa, and then the the number of people who uh, reacted as though I was anti cyclist, I, I, I can't tell you how many bicycles there are in, in my tiny little house. Um, because we love to cycle, we love to get out around the city, but I cannot take my dad with Alzheimer's, on a bike around Stanley park. I can put them in the car though, and I can slowly drive around the park. And that really matters to me. And someone said, how do you get your dad around boot gardens or Van Dusen gardens? Those are car free. I said, you know what? Dad hasn't been there in years because we can't, but we can do Stanley park. We can do Stanley park.
2: And what I'm hearing uh, from are the people that have personal stories like yours. And those are the people that if you haven't been through that, you don't understand. And I have been for the last week, I've been, I'm a car loving, uh, bike hating person. And all those things have come at me too. But if you haven't dealt uh, with being able to have the luxury of putting someone in a car seat and be able to drive along and see the joy on their face when they maybe even remember those places where they used to visit. I used to take my dad He used to love to tell me about, you know, we used to be able to drive our car into the hollow tree, you know, and and, and things like that. And um, that's where, and you've said it right, this seems very rushed, and I'm really concerned we're not going to be listening to the people. And I know that they're saying, but the report... They won't write a port without talking to people. Well, let's let people speak to it first and let's do it when people are no longer under lockdown.
0: It feels like it's almost argumentative to do it in the reverse. Like if what's to what end is it to do a report without public consult first? There's no
2: rush here or or is there a rush here? Is that the piece? And I can't say because I did not write the motion and I didn't bring it forward at this time. You know, so right. I, I don't I don't know what their agenda is, but all I know is that when Commissioner Cooper and I saw this come forward, we just said, oh, no, everyone has to stay, take a step back. And that's what we've been uh, fighting for. And hopefully we will get um, that happening tonight at the park board meeting.
0: That's at 630 tonight. I got two questions for you that I think are really key here. Um how typical? Or no, no, First, how much does it cost to typically do a study such as the one being put forward in this motion? Taxpayer dollars.
2: I do not know, but that's a good question. I would like to know that too. Hmm.
0: Do we? Do you have sort of a ballpark? Is it like thirty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, two million dollars, fifty? I don't. You 000, know what? And like-
2: I see. I I see the reports. And, and, you know, I'm sure that if Commissioner Cooper was here, he would probably know that number. I'm a new park board commissioner, and you're the first Fair person enough. to ask me that question.
0: Okay, uh, I'll put that out to Commissioner Cooper. Send me a note, Jody at cknw.com, so I can have that information as soon as possible, because I'm curious about that. Because it's yeah. like, well, if we're spending the dollars, shouldn't we ask the public first if that's what the taxpayer-owned park should become? shouldn't we ask the people who own the park, i.e. the taxpayer, whether or not they want a major change like that before the study? And why why not let that happen? It, because th- that petition really, I can't tell you how many times that petition crossed my social media feeds and Various people posting it up and saying, please sign this. And I didn't get it from Mr. Fine. I got it from like random friends who are not associated with one another. And very passionate people were putting forward that. What, 5,000 signature and signatures in just a matter of a couple of days, right?
2: And it's, it's almost at 6,000. I think it's very, very close to 6,000. And my biggest concern with all of this is we're people are online, you know, fill out the survey, all of these kind of things. The people this is going to hurt the most, the seniors... Uh that are not online they don't carry a cell phone and when we look at well look at all the cyclists are in there and we can check you know because we can see the google maps all of these things happening but how many seniors go into the park and they don't have a cell phone with them so we don't get to map where they are we cannot we cannot forget about these people who aren't plugged in on their computers. And they're they're just the people that we love who want to go to the park.
0: There are many of them who listen to the radio and they might be listening right now. So in the next segment, we are opening up phone lines. If you're on either side of this debate, you can call in 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. Or if you do have a cell, you can go star 9898 and it's toll free on your cell. Um, so tonight the meeting obviously it's 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 a big meeting we've talked often about how the park board the the makeup of the park board right now is is a little bit um weighted to one side is this like an easy this is just going to go through uh kind of like um maybe past municipal governments where some plans were made even before meetings
2: well i can't uh, guess how people uh we'll vote on something, but two commissioners, it it was a joint um, uh, proposal by commissioner Irwin and commissioner McKinnon. And it's already being seconded by commissioner Giesbrick. So, and uh, commissioner Demers has been talking positively about it um, in the media. So if you just look at that, but everyone can, you know, maybe um, they will listen to everyone's voice today and they will defer the uh, motion until we're out of this pandemic. So who knows what will happen tonight?
0: Fair enough. So we do have an opportunity here as a community of people. We, the great, the grand we, those who are for, those who are against, or those who can find some middle ground here and maybe say, how about we slow the traffic uh, to and from uh, Stanley Park and there is uh, an, uh, an allocated lane through the park that is for cyclists only, but there's still room for the Sunday drive. Um, for the seniors or for those who wouldn't necessarily partake in a seawall stroll or a cycle around the roadway. Can this be amended? Can this motion be
2: amended this evening? It can be amended, but I just wanted to say something to what you've just said there. And people um, quite often say to me, well, then just give the cars one lane. And remember, that's the tour buses and that's the horse carriages and all of the other things that would then be in that one lane. So, um, if you're going to take your grandmother to the tea house for lunch, and if right. you get behind that horse carriage in the one lane that vehicles are allowed to be in, you're not going to make it there in time. So that's why we want to um, look at this in a bigger way and be, how will people actually use those lanes that we are um, giving them? How fast is the traffic? There's this is why they um, this is going to take a long time to figure out. But um, and, and we and we have to take the time to figure it out. But let's do it when we can listen to everyone's ideas.
0: I think I'm going to need to talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for doing this, Trisha. I appreciate it very much. Hey, okay, my,
2: my pleasure. Take care.
0: Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett this week. And uh, there's a lot to unpack after a tumultuous week in the United States this weekend. Indeed. I mean, it's just the news cycle is so heavy. It's hard to keep up. But thankfully, we have our man on the ground in Global News, Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini, who joins us now with what we are dubbing the Checking In With Cicchini segment. Reggie, how are you? Uh, It's it's another Monday. It's another Monday. I was literally DMing you on Twitter like I was your parent. Please tell me when you're home safe. You know, I'm watching these... uh, protests in Washington D.C. and and you know rubber bullets and pepper spray and 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 photo ops with bibles it's just been so much i don't even know where to begin do you feel the tension is rising in washington or has it somewhat leveled off or scaled down at all
3: well, I would say the tension has, has leveled off slightly, whereas there's still anger, there's still, uh, kind of a deep set rage that is trying to be projected, not only onto the White House at the end of that newly designated Black Lives Matters Plaza, uh, but just in general towards a country, uh, where protesters feel that change is needed, and they see that those changes are starting to happen now, uh, with talk of, uh, of, uh, dismantling police in certain cities, including Minnesota, where this all, uh, started off. So we're seeing some of those tensions, definitely from what we saw last weekend with fires being set and, and pepper spray being un- unleashed, those tensions have subsided. Uh, protests really now are uh, much more uh, peaceful. They're still large. They're still loud. But there's none of that aggression being shown.
0: Yeah, it does seem like there's more of the, you know, take a knee, raise your fist in the air in solidarity. And, and even when we see the viral videos of, of white supremacists. Attacking verbally, assaulting people who are protesting, uh, there, there, there won't be, there will be no uh, goaded into into some sort of altercation anymore. There seems to be so much power in the collective of protesters remaining peaceful.
3: Yeah, and I think this is a, a big moment for these protests and, and how they've turned from being, uh, you know, aggressive at the beginning, trying to get everything out uh, and realizing day after day after day, their messages are being heard. Again, it's not being heard widely throughout the White House. There is still uh, um, kind of a sour note coming from the Trump administration, notably from the president, notably from the attorney general on their viewpoints towards some of these protests. You know, you have the president who focuses in on the, you know, the, the rarity of the violence that we saw and even though we're not really seeing that aggression anymore the president is still making mention of how in a snap he could bring the national guard back in a snap he would bring uh the military back and still wants to see law and order on the streets uh but it's kind of working against the president now because everything is going uh much more peaceful than it once uh once was uh you know it's forcing him to kind of go through the weeds and try to find the one-off incident so he still has something to kind of rage against
0: Right. Trying to look for that narrative that fits. What a Bill Barr, though, and what he has been saying hes he's trending on social media, it seems, almost daily.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, Bill Barr is kind of towing the line of the president uh, and the conversation surrounding A, the protest, B, the clearing of Lafayette Square last week, uh, one week ago today, uh, and C, again trying to kind of push this narrative that we've heard from within the Trump administration that there is no systemic problem when it comes to racism across police forces in the United States. You know, that's not what we're hearing from uh, police chiefs around the country. There are active members of the of the police uh, uh, force in the country saying, yes, there are uh, issues with the way that police uh, uh, operate, the way that their conduct operates in certain cities. And they do acknowledge that some of their own forces have problems that need to be dealt with, whether or not it's bad cops whether or not it's simply just kind of uh, a bad sense of how things operate but you don't hear that from people like the attorney general who is the leading law enforcement voice in this country he simply says that most things are going well you know when that pleases the president but it simply doesn't please the crowds who are saying look things are not right and we need a change
0: yeah demanding that change what about um where things stand um physically with the white house i mean watching the lights go out At the White House, seeing a wall go up, I guess Donald Trump did get the wall he's always wanted. Yeah, I mean, just look, not not just jo- not in the right place.
3: <laughs> yeah, this is the joke that, about the president right now: is that at one point he was surrounded by prison riot guards, and he is behind an ever-growing uh, fence around the White House. This started off with just that fence that was put up around Lafayette Square, where we were all gathering last week, where all of that tension was taking place. And that fencing slowly started to push out further towards the Executive Office Building, where the Vice President's office is. It then slowly worked behind the White House, uh, and then there's a park. For anyone who hasn't been to D.C., there's a massive park where the National Christmas Trees usually held, uh, put up behind called the Ellipse. The Ellipse is now put behind a fence. So there are just kind of kilometers and kilometers of fencing wrapping around, uh, you know, the White House now, making it essentially an untouchable fortress when it was already incredibly roped off uh, from the general public. It's unclear whose call it was. Nobody will say who's made the effort to put that fencing up. Uh, but it really has kind of showed the divide between the people uh, and the people's White House.
0: We get the uh, pool press release in the mornings. I actually sent it to you and asked you if it was parody. Can you share with our listener what uh, that said?
3: Well, I mean, yes, the 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 pool White House, when uh, the pool reports rather when it comes out, you know, it's put out by whoever's in charge of dealing with the press pool for that day. And it made a comment of talking about a sunny and bright day at the White House because they're always trying to simply set the mood, whether it's for writing, whether or not uh, it's for TV, you need to know what's going on. But it's very clearly, sure, a sunny and bright day over top of the White House in Washington, D.C. It's just anything but sunny uh, and bright on the inside. There's a lot of turmoil happening uh, inside the Oval Office, inside uh, the administration as a whole polling numbers are down the president is facing increasing criticism for his handling of this crisis the president is facing a showdown right now still with the mayor of dc for the way that he uh, carried out the this kind of military outflow where these active troops were on the ground uh you know kind of going against that home rule that dc has when it comes to governing itself it is not sunny and and bright standing inside the white house
0: uh, what are we hearing about uh, the, 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 the sort of buzz that Trump is going to address the nation on racial unrest? Well, I mean, there has
3: been a back and forth about whether or not the president is actually going to come out and say something. Originally, it was going to potentially happen last week, and then it didn't happen. And mm-hmm. then he came out last week towards the end of it, uh, and he made these comments uh, about the economy doing really well. And he, he brought in the name George Floyd, saying that he would be really happy uh, that the U.S. economy was doing better than what analysts had anticipated it to be. And whether or not those were off-the-cuff remarks or actually scripted in front of him, uh, the president took some serious slack for that because it was simply a- an offensive, an inappropriate moment to bring up the, the the name of a man who sparked the national conversation about racial injustices and trying to tie that into the economy but even today the president's own press secretary said uh, that a strong economy uh, is what can be used to try and tamp down racial injustices in this country it simply was was an off-putting comment uh, but there still is is no comment or, or rather timeline for if and when or, you know, whether the president is going to come out uh, and address the country. He didn't do it when the crisis was was really unfolding last week. Uh, And now there's questions as to whether or not it's even important going forward, considering there are so many other unifying voices, not only in the Republican Party, like Mitt Romney, but also with Mm. Joe Biden.
0: Yes. And watching you brought up Mitt Romney, that was a big, uh, a big move, I guess, for him to speak to Black Lives Matter, to wear the mask, to march, to do all of those things. It's sort of flying in the face of what Donald Trump stands for or, or or certainly says aloud, and and he is starting to attack. Well, not starting to continues to attack Romney. Are we getting to a place, Reggie, where an endorsement from Donald Trump might not be a good thing for Republicans? Well, I mean, the Republican
3: Party right now is fractured and fearful of the president because they understand that he can play make or break or he tries to play kingmaker uh, inside that political party. But at the moment right now, you know, there there is fear that the president may be a little toxic, uh, particularly mm. for those that are up for reelection later on this year. Someone like Mitch McConnell, somebody uh, like Susan Collins, they may want to stay away from the president uh, simply because he may kind of taint a view about somebody, you know, Mitt Romney. Romney is not up for election this year, but there, there's still this back and forth with the president making fun of his polling numbers, even though those polling numbers are incorrect. Uh, you know, the president potentially could cause the Senate to fall from Republican stronghold. So they're actively trying to just either push his messaging aside or have to tamp down and then spin his message into a narrative that works for themselves.
0: Reggie, I want to talk about polling numbers because they are certainly making news and you always have a way of breaking them down because we don't know which polls to trust anymore. So give us sort of the lay of the land as you see it.
3: Well, it depends on what poll you're looking at, number one. Like you say, they're all a little bit different. And there's a poll that's out right now, a CNN poll that's kind of blowing the rest of the polls out of the water right now when it comes to their numbers. And it's facing some criticism from within the Trump administration itself. But this new poll shows that President Trump has a 38 percent approval when it comes to his handling of the presidency. And 57 percent are disapproving of the president's handling at the you know, when you when you kind of break that down further, just to simply who people uh People who you know back the president or don't back the president, Trump sits at 41% approval. That's in and around where he's been uh, for the last two and a half years. It's still the lowest point that it's been in a little while. But uh, Vice President Biden actually sits 14 points ahead. Of Donald Trump. And that's where uh, the polling that's public is starting to match the internal polling uh, in the Trump uh, campaign that shows that there is an issue with likability for the president, not only amongst uh, the public, but also amongst Republicans behind a closed door.
0: Now, there are many Trump supporters who listen to this radio station, and I get my email inbox always does uh, fill up when they say you're always just looking at the negatives. Look at the positives. Are there any positives here for the Trump administration when it comes to these polls? Are we are we slanted because the news cycle has been so um, intense, for lack of a better way of putting it?
3: No, I mean, the positives are that the president isn't in the negatives when it comes to uh, his likability and people's perceptions on how he's handling the the presidency. The issue is that the numbers have failed to grow from where they were when he was still a candidate back in 2016. And this Hmm. is where that fear from the Senate comes from, is that the president continuously speaks to his base, but he doesn't do anything to draw in moderate Republicans or draw in independents to try and get that number uh, bigger than where it is right now and bigger than where it was when he defeated Hillary Clinton. Because this isn't 2016. You may not have a Democratic candidate that is still well regarded and broadly liked, uh, but you have a candidate right now who is already polling better than where Hillary Clinton was in 2016. And that's where the fear is. It should also be pointed out to anybody who is a Trump supporter. These aren't just, you know, fake news CNN polls that are coming out. There was a poll uh, at the middle to end of May that came out from Fox News that still had Joe Biden up 48% to Trump at 40%. So, these polls do exist in a plethora and they are not always uh, going to be you know exactly what you want to hear, particularly if you're a Trump supporter.
0: Now Reggie, what do you make of the um, ever growing sort of vocal uh, former Trump uh, administration, uh, members, the uh, the John Kellys, the the and and even past staunch Republicans, uh, uh, Colin Powell, we're we're getting ever more vocal, sort of coming out of the woodwork of, of not just you know you you, you almost expect someone uh, of for, like former President Barack Obama doing making a statement of some sort, even not naming Donald Trump as you know sort of sticking to that tradition of not naming a, a sitting president, um, but but it it feels and maybe it's just coming at me on my social media, I'm not sure. But it feels like there is a turning of the tide within those who were sort of just trying to do the ride or die with Trump and just can't anymore.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, there is a breaking of the ranks when it comes to people that were part of the Trump administration uh, and people who are uh, currently still a part of the Trump administration. And when you're talking about uh, these former Marines and these former generals that the president had always touted as being uh, the kind of uh, uh, reason for for kind of sanity in the administration, they're the ones he looked up to. They're the ones he respected. When they went against the president, he turned on them and they decided to stay silent. Uh, you know, they, they opted to not make any comments about a sitting president until uh, they all came out of the woodwork and said that the, the current administration has essentially been leading this country for the last three and a half years uh, with immature leadership or the leadership has simply been lacking. Uh, and and they talk about uh, the frustration that exists within the Republicans and the Trump administration for uh, a president who simply, uh, you know, does things off the cuff and it doesn't do things uh, with any kind of thought or regard to what may happen afterwards. But it also goes to show that this is not the Republican Party that it once was. There are still a and, and steady number of senators uh, and, and, and Congress people that stand with the president and don't get in his way and don't stop him from uh, from saying things or doing things that could negatively impact their party, which is why you see someone like Colin Powell, who is a longtime Republican, but voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 mm-hmm. because the president or at least the president at the point uh, 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 the campaign uh, was simply too far out. For what this Republican Party is and over three years has changed this Republican Party for what could be a generation now.
0: I can't believe it's the last thing I'm touching on with you, uh, given the last uh, sort of five months of our lives. Uh, COVID-19 numbers in the U.S. uh, approaching that two million confirmed case mark.
3: Yeah, I mean, think about that. It's two. It was one case that the president thought would go to zero uh, within a couple of weeks, uh, and that was four months ago. And in four months, we went from zero to two million, and we have a death toll that by the end of August could very likely be more than 150,000, uh, especially with the sheer number of protests that have taken place around the country. There is a fear amongst health experts uh, that numbers are going to continue to spike now over the next couple of weeks. What's going to be interesting right now is watching the numbers over the next couple of days. Memorial Day weekend was just a couple of weeks weeks ago uh, when we saw the people hanging out at Lake of the Ozarks and we saw restaurants and bars start to pack themselves with people. The fear is that those numbers are going to start to increase now. Uh, and with the sheer number of tests that are going to be needed after all of these protesters were hanging out together, uh, there's also a fear that the numbers are going to get much quicker, uh, much higher, uh, much quicker. This is a virus that still has a grip on this country uh, and is not going to be letting go.
0: And that curve uh, heads straight skyward with the doubling rates that come into play. Are you seeing a lot of people wearing masks now more than before?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, masks are, are kind of a growing part of the costume in the United States. You know, in Washington, D.C., it's an order of the mayor that you have a mask on. If you're doing anything outside of your house that's not uh, uh, exercising, you have to have a mask on to go to uh, the grocery store. But, uh, you know, even on TV, if you were watching the protests in D.C., they were huge. They were several thousand strong. And every protester uh, was wearing a mask for all nine or 10 days that we were standing down there. It's kind of uh it's become a way to understand that it may not be the full amount of prevention and protection protection, but it is uh, that ability to try and make sure that you are protecting yourself and protecting people around you. You know, it'll Those be interesting to you. see what happens in New York now that it's ready to reopen. Uh, Subway's reopening, half a million people expected to go back outside. It'll, it's, it's simply going to be a matter of time to see what happens with these numbers.
0: Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. And I tell you what, I woke up this morning, I was flipping through my social media, I was thinking about the program today, and I came across a tweet from a former colleague of mine, a good friend, somebody I respect greatly. Uh, Her name is Sherry Ford. If that name rings a bell and you're a sports fan, that Sherry Ford. And her tweet said, and I quote, it's been a heavy few weeks. I've continued to educate myself on my white privilege all while trying to use my voice to help put an end to systemic racism. I thought it was time to write hashtag my truth having lived on both sides of the fence. I went on to read the very raw and personal post that Sherry uh, created on themedium.com. I highly recommend that you click on that and read it. But I thought it would be great to have Sherry come on the show today and sort of share uh, her story with you, uh, with us. and And she said yes. So she's joining us on the line now. Sherry, nice to speak with you.
2: Yeah, it's uh
4: nice to speak to you. It was lovely to hear from you today. It's it's really hard for you to actually talk about this because I I wrote it and I lived it. But then I hear other people talking about it and I see quotes of mine from my story and it really like it makes me tear up because I think I've normalized where I was and where I am. the fact that I don't even know I, I guess I didn't put any power to my story because it was just my life and I just kind of went on thinking that this is the way life is until I started to write it and needed to do something but it's been a heavy day it's been actually heavier to read my quotes than it was to write the story if that makes sense
0: well, it does, actually, having read it. But can you, can you share sort of where you're coming from? Just a little bit of a Coles Notes uh, background for our listener who doesn't know sort of where we're going with this, doesn't know your okay. history. How have you lived both sides of this fence?
4: Well, I grew up in a small town in southern Alberta. It was, uh, it's Brooks, Alberta. There was about 7,000 people when I lived there. Uh, an oil town. A farming town, um, I was one of three daughters uh, born into my family. Um, my father was a educated man uh he was a farmer, a rancher, and a veterinarian, and he was a racist and so much like my town was in the seventies I think they've come a long way now, but and there's still some way to go, but I think I was raised a racist. I used names that I didn't know that were names because I didn't leave the town of Brooks for a very long time. And those names were just normal to me. Like, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, uh, catch the end by the toe. Like that was normal to me. So normal, in fact, that I don't know when I stopped using that word. I didn't hurl it at anybody it was just a a word that we my father used so it was normalized in our house but that was by far like not the only word that was used by him or by his friends and then I ventured out onto my own and I traveled across the country and the states and a few other continents to to be a reporter and I realized that I had a lot to learn. I mean, I spent nine years in Regina and I had a lot to learn about everything there. Like there was just a ton to learn there and that was humbling. And then you moved to Toronto and it's a melting pot and and you see the racism everywhere. And I think I had to own what I was, but then it got more um, intricate because I married a black man and I had black kids and I had to introduce that black man to my small town to my father to my family didn't go so well um it ended okay took a while um and how I you wrote
0: about that though, Sherry how you wrote about that and uh, Dwayne, your husband, Dwayne Ford for mm-hmm. CFL fans, they'd know him and a commentator. Uh, uh, unbelievable. Both of you are unbelievable. Um, uh, people. I owe you money. Humans. Well, no, you're just you're, you're fantastic. <laughs> I'm so proud of you for for taking this on um, and, and being public with this and, and how you wrote about introducing Dwayne to your family and how Dwayne handled it and how you learned from it. And and so I, I encourage people to read that portion of, of, well, read all of it, but but that's a really important part of your story of being on both sides of the fence. But in the interest of, of time, I only have f- like four minutes here, and I really want to talk okay. about what you're teaching your children. What should I make sure that I am teaching my 12-year-old son so that he does not find any racist uh, to- <laughs> tropes to be normalized?
4: Like, how, y- how do you we know have this conversation, right? I don't have to teach them. They teach me. They they, honestly, they're in schools that are so, so many different nationalities and, and colors of skin, different Mm. shades Mm -hmm. everywhere. And they love like my kids, like they just love everybody. And my daughter won't let me say a bad word about anything ever. So they've taught me a lot now. I've had to teach them, I guess, that there will be. I had to have the talk, of course, with my son, who had lots of racial taunts at points um, in his life. And even when Mr. Floyd was murdered uh, a while back, I heard him say and cry out for his mom. And I Mm. really genuinely walked into my son's bedroom. He's 16 and a half. He was napping. And I curled myself around him and I sobbed. And he oddly let me. Because, you know, I think he he felt, you know, the heaviness of the moment. And, And as far as we've come, there's still so much we have to teach him because it hasn't stopped. And him driving a car or being out in a bar with all his white friends or being stopped in any location, he will usually be, you know, guilty until he's proven innocent in a lot of situations just simply by the color of his skin. That's
0: heavy. It's so heavy. It is so. It, it is so heavy, and it is so um, unnerving. Like it turns our. It, it turns my stomach to think that that's happening here, and how naive of me and my white privilege is that? Because I I have to send my twelve year old out into the world and say, "Be careful. Be kind to people. You know, look both ways when you're crossing the street." I don't have to say if you get stopped by the police, it's yes or no, sir, yes, ma'am, you know, and and worry about it. The way, you know, obviously, all too often is the case uh, for black people, not just in the United States, but everywhere.
4: Yeah, and, and unfortunately, when, when Trump came into office, he made the racist language sexy again. And Mm -hmm. I really felt it here. Like, I felt it because I have black kids, and so many people don't think Canada's racist, and there's deep racism here. And when that all bubbled up, and that was a sexy word again, I felt it. And that's when the taunting started to my son, and that's when I had to educate the mothers of his white friends to say, you know, we have a problem here, and your kids may have to you know, protect him at some point. And uh, I guess that's tough, man, because racism is here and there are so many people who don't think so. And it's on us.
0: It's actually on us to have these conversations. And Sherry, I've just lost count of the number of times I've had wave after wave of goosebumps uh, hearing you speak about this. So I'm going to go back again to medium.com. Uh, you can search Sherry Ford, S H E R I F O R D E, and and really take that take that article, read it, consume it, and share it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with that uncomfortable uncle at the birthday or Christmas <laughs> dinner who who still uses those things. And you're like, oh, that's just the, you know that generation. No, that's over. Yeah, that's over. Yeah, Thank the you, white privilege
4: that we were—we we won the lottery, Jody. We really yeah. did with the white privilege, and now we have to educate ourselves and help gently teach others.
0: Right, stand with. As you mm-hmm. said, be on uh, choose choose love. Be on the right side of the fence. Uh, Absolutely, because you, ch- you choose the other side. You choose love. Thank you for this, Sherry Ford. I appreciate it so much. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. I hope. Thanks, Miss Jody. You have a good day. You too. Powerful Stuff Medium.com Sherry Ford Please read it It'll change your life Especially if you're a parent Have your kids read it too